This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. It's good to be back with you guys this afternoon. I just want to thank you for the prayer on my behalf. One thing I want to say is I always enjoy coming to Wheeler. It's like a a home away from home, and just the relationships that we've built with, built with many of you guys over the, over the last several years is just, they mean so much to us, so again, we're just thankful to be here. This afternoon, we're going to continue kind of in the same area as what we did this, this morning when we talked about a, a verse that's really misused in the world today, and today we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20 where it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. When people hear this verse, the idea of Jesus standing at the door of an unbeliever's heart comes to mind. Waiting to be accepted and let in. Now, many of you have probably seen this picture here or there. Uh, you might go into a, a different church or maybe somebody's home and you might see this. Uh, and this image is really relatable when we think about this verse. You know, this verse, a lot of times, is used as an invitation, again, to those who do not believe in Jesus Christ. Those who may be on the, on the edge of believing. And so many times I've heard this verse used in the closing of a, of a, a lesson. And you even get some sound effects sometime and you hear, stand at the door and knock. But really, is that what it's talking about? And that's what we want to look at today. Now, I do want to give a little disclaimer here. This morning, we talked about a verse that could be extremely dangerous if used out of context. This one, not so much. This is, this is a verse that that idea of Jesus Christ wanting the unbeliever to come to him and to be a part of the kingdom is seen all over the word of God. But... I think when we look at this verse out of context, we lose so many valuable lessons from what it truly means. So that's what we want to look at this day, or today, this afternoon. So let's, again, let's begin this morning by looking at the context of this passage. Now, when looking at the overall, before we go into the actual context that surrounds it, I want to do a little bit of a context about the book of Revelation in general. And up to this point in Revelation chapter 3, uh, we, we see that the letter written, to, written in Revelation that we look at is actually written to seven churches in Asia. Now these churches were a part of, or they were in the vicinity or the, under the control of the Roman Empire. Not to say the churches were under control, but they were in a, in a location that was controlled by the Roman Empire. And when you think about what was happening at this time, many people or in the Roman Empire, many people were about to face a severe, severe persecution. The Roman Empire was going to try to crack down on Christianity. They were going to try to, to snuff it out. And that's exactly what was about to happen. Again, these churches were about to suffer. It was going to get tough for them. It was going to be difficult as they went on through this. And, and really, when you look at the overall book, 
it's all, it, a lot of it's about the perseverance, making it through that, having a strong faith in Jesus Christ so that they could make it through. Now, as we look at the individual messages to the churches, we see that some were in pretty good shape. There were some churches that when that persecution came, they were doing a lot of the right things. They might not have, well, they weren't perfect, we know that, but they were going in the right direction. And they had a good foundation to lean on. On the other hand, there were several churches that were not in a good position. They were not ready for that persecution. It was going to push them to their limits. It was going to push them to the point that they had to make a decision. Are we willing to stand with Jesus Christ or are we going to walk away? Now, to truly understand what John is talking about here as he pins this letter, we need to go back at least to verse 14 to kind of see what he's talking about, to give us an idea about what he really means when he says, I stand at the door and knock. So we're going to go ahead and go back to verse 14 where he says, And unto the angel of the church at Laodiceans write. This is the first point. We look at Revelation 3 and 20 and we consider that an invitation to the unbeliever. That's not who it's written to. This is written to a church in the Roman Empire that had already that was full of people who had already come and accepted Jesus Christ into their lives, had obeyed the gospel, had been baptized. They were a church. That's who he's talking to here, not the unbeliever. Like I said, though, that idea of knocking at the unbeliever's heart is something that we can that's still important, something that we can find all over the Word of God, but that's not what this verse is talking about. And we see who writes this in the next part of this verse. It says, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. This is a message from Jesus Christ to the church at Laodicea. That's who this is written to. And I think that's very important as we go on and see what he's talking about here and who he's calling to truly understand what, he, what he's wanting to get across in this message. Now, as we go into the next verse, he, say, he says, I know thy works. He knows what's going on in the church at Laodicea. And we talked about that there were several churches who were doing some great things. They were ready for that persecution. They were going to be able to endure. Laodicea was not one of those. He says, I know thy works. He knew what was going on. That church may have looked great on the outside, but on the inside it was crumbling. It was falling apart. It had issues. It had problems. He goes on and he says that thou wert neither cold nor hot. I would thou, thou wert cold or hot. You know, I used to think of this when I read this and kind of the idea that I always thought about when I thought of cold or hot. I thought hot was you were on fire for God. Cold maybe even included unbelievers. The more I study that, the more I think about it, I kind of see that as... This church was just not useful for Christ. It was not useful for him. They weren't doing what he asked them to do. They were not obeying his will. And when I think about that, I think of coffee. And I'm going to be the first one to tell you I hate coffee. I hate it. It's like the worst thing out there. Yeah. I have some people that agree with me. Usually that's not the case. Everybody seems to love coffee. I'm not one of those. Now, when I think of coffee, I know a little bit about coffee because my wife loves coffee, and she loves hot coffee. A hot cup of coffee for her is very useful. 
If it gets just under the boiling point, she's going to throw it in the microwave and heat it back up above the boiling point. It's useful to her. Now, cold coffee, I've also found out, is something that a lot of people find useful. It's good, for them. It's good to them. Now, I will say this. The only coffee I like is coffee that doesn't taste good. Or that, that, that sorry, that's obvious. That, that doesn't taste like coffee is what I'm trying to say there. That's the only kind of coffee I like. And there's this place in Amarillo, and it's called Dutch Brothers. You may have seen that. And I went there one day, and I decided I'm going to go off on a limb, and I'm going to get this thing called a caramelizer. It was amazing. It didn't taste like coffee. It was like ice cream. It was, it was a, a great, right? It was good. But a lot of people like cold coffee. They find that useful to them. I'm going to tell you, and I was corrected the last time I, I spoke this lesson because I said, I've never in my life found anybody that said, I enjoy a lukewarm cup of coffee. I enjoy room temperature cup of coffee. And sure enough, there was one person that said, I do. It's not, it's not something that happens a lot. And I'm going to tell you, the reason I hate coffee today and if I was to go talk to a psychologist or something, they would dig into my past and they would find out that I hate coffee because the first time I ever drank coffee, I took a big gulp of it and it was lukewarm. It was room temperature. I spit it out. It, was, it wasn't useful to me. And that's exactly what was happening with this church. In Revelation 3.16, it says, So then because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of, thy mouth, out of my mouth. These Christians were lukewarm. They were essentially content with riding the fence. They were self-satisfied. They were indifferent. They were heartless for Christ. They had lost their purpose. They had lost their meaning. They had lost their why. And that's a sad position to be in. And that's exactly where this church was. Now, I'm going to tell you something about lukewarm Christians that I found, found out about. Is that, and part of that is because I've been a lukewarm Christian in my life. I've been in that position. But lukewarm Christians can be very stubborn. They say, well, I'm doing so much better than that person. They don't even come to church. Look what they're into. At least I'm going to church. But really, I was indifferent about Christ. My will, as we talked about, wasn't a lot, this morning wasn't aligned with his. And that's a problem. Lukewarm Christians can be very stubborn because they think they've got it all figured out, but really they don't. And that's very dangerous because a lukewarm Christian can do so much damage to the church. I would venture to say that a lukewarm Christian, the damage that they do to, to the church is far worse than any atheist out there. And it's because of the reach. An atheist, they've got a following, right? Right? but it's generally those outside of the church. The problem with a lukewarm Christian is they're right in the middle of the church. And their reach not only affects those outside of the church that see, you say you're a Christian and you live that way, but it also pushes people inside of the church away from Christ. It's damaging. Mahatma Gandhi once said, I like your Christ, I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. That's harsh. And there are many people in the world today who look at us for a reason to believe in Jesus, and all they see are people who 
have taken the name of Christ and are doing nothing with it, are indifferent. And that's exactly what was happening here at this church of Laodicea. This quote puts it into perspective for us. In verse 17, he says, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So we get a little more information on this church about what its issues were here. You know, when we did our study in the book of Revelation in October, I would say we did an in-depth overview, not an in-depth study. There's a little difference in that. But we talked about Laodicea in one of those lessons. And it was really situated in this very heavily resourced area. They had everything they needed. In fact, I read in my study for that that this area had this severe earthquake. It was a very bad earthquake, and it caused a lot of damage. The Roman Empire tried to come in and help with that, but they said, we don't need your help. They said, we, we don't need your help. They were self-sufficient. And I'm going to tell you, self-sufficiency can be a good thing. I don't want my daughters to live in my basement for the rest of my life. I love them, but I want them to grow up to be self-sufficient, to be able to live on their own. But the problem is, is when that self-sufficiency bleeds over into our Christian life. And we become self-sufficient and we feel like we don't need Jesus Christ. We don't need his word. We've got it figured out. And that's exactly what had happened here. They had lost their purpose. They thought they had everything they need, but inside they didn't know they were wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. They had no clue. I'm a meme guy. I think memes are hilarious. And I think they prove a point a lot of times. And that's exactly, you've got this little dog and he's drinking coffee, right? He's all happy as can be, saying I'm fine. But around him, the house is burning down. It's a perfect example of what was happening here at this church. They thought they were fine, but around them, their lives were crumbling. And they were about to face a persecution that they would not make it through. I want us to think about that for just a second. How many people are going to make it through a severe persecution? The, 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 you may be beaten. You may be insulted. You may be put on a, on a burning stake. You, you are going through severe persecution. If you are indifferent to Christ, are you going to stick through that? You're going to walk away. And that's what they were about to face. They weren't ready for that persecution. They weren't ready for that to happen. They didn't even know how bad of a situation they were in. And that's very scary. And that's something that we need to make sure we're not in that position as a church here in Wheeler or in Amarillo or in our lives in general. So Christ gives them a little bit of encouragement here in the next verse. A little instruction. In verse 18, he says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried by fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, that the shame of thy nakedness do, do not appear, does not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. So when you look at the book of Revelation, another thing you need to know is a big chunk of that, the, most, the majority of that is not literal. 
He's not in here saying, you need to go buy gold. That's not what he's talking about. But here's what we need to understand. These people understood the value of gold. They understood the importance of that and the value of that. What he's talking about here is finding that true Christianity. The individuals at at that church at that time were playing church, but they weren't living it. They lost their desire for God. He talks about this idea of white raiment or white clothing. That's referring to those righteous acts of the saints, following the will of God, to start living in a way that's guided by the word of God. Once again, relying on Christ and not themselves. And we think about clothing. Clothing for us provides protection and decency in our lives. Righteousness means that protection against sin and temptation. Decency is showing that we are not living a hypocritical life when we should be living a life dedicated to Christ. And then you talk, think about this eye salve. Think back to what we just talked about in the previous verse. They couldn't see the world crumbling down around them. But how are they going to see that? Getting in the word of God. Opening the word of God. Seeing their problems in the word of God and fixing those problems. That's what he's talking about here. Truly living for Christ. In verse 19, he says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. So he tells them, he says, I love you. And this is why I'm giving you this message. And he he gives them a little bit of instruction. He says, be zealous and therefore repent. So Christ commands those in that church to make a change. And he calls for them to be zealous and to repent and to change their lives. They needed to change their ways. They needed to get out of that indifference to Christ and give their lives to Christ again. Get back to where they needed to be. He wanted them to serve him. That's what he wanted. He knew what was coming. He knew that persecution was going to be tough. And out of love, he's saying, make that choice. Make that decision. And that leads us to the verse that we're talking about this morning. Jesus Christ is giving them an opportunity He says, you've fallen away, you've walked away. And in the previous verse, he says, repent and be zealous. And now he's saying, I stand at the door and knock. And here's your chance. Here's your opportunity to make the decision to come back, to change things before it's too late. And one thing, as you look at these churches, there were some good churches, there were some churches that needed a lot of help. But one thing you can find about these churches is that None of them were past the point of no return yet. They had an opportunity. And this church had an opportunity to make the decision to come back. He says, if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. He's waiting for them to make the move. To make the decision to say, I'm coming back. I'm getting back to where I need to be. Here's the thing, he's not going to force them to do anything they don't make the choice to do. I think of those old movies in maybe my early childhood when uh, you see that little kid doing something that they shouldn't be doing, something very wrong. What does the mom do? She comes, grabs him by the ear, and drags him out. Christ is not going to go through there, grab us by the ear, and make us make a change in our lives. That's not how he works. He gives us that opportunity 
and he's very patient with us, but we have to make that choice. And that's what he's telling them. If they open the door, they could be reconciled with him. If they open the door, they could be ready for that persecution and they would be able to withstand that persecution that was coming. And that's why I think when we pull this out and we just apply this to unbelievers, while that's not a dangerous concept, we miss out on so many great lessons as a believer who may have walked away or turned our back on God. And that's what we want to look at this this afternoon as we continue through this. So let's talk about a few lessons that we can learn from this. And first of all, I think we can see that Christians can fall from grace. And this is a very popular doctrine that we see in the world today. It's part of a Calvinistic doctrine, what many call the tulip doctrine. And one tenet of that is called the perseverance of the saints, or once saved, always saved. That once you are saved, there's there's no falling from that. No matter what you do, no matter how you live. And I think seeing this and seeing the warning to this church is an indication that that is not true. They were in a dangerous position, a position where they might lose their church, and many people, because of that, would lose their salvation. And that's a scary thought. This church wasn't ready. They needed to make changes. And that invitation was sent to them. You think about the wording that he said. They're not hot or cold. What did he say? I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. It made him sick. They needed to make that change. They were in a dangerous position. And the thing is, the same thing applies to us when we walk away from God and when we turn our back. And by no means do I want you to think that I'm saying that because when we're Christians, because we have this sin or we sin a few times, I'm not saying that we lose our salvation over that. I don't want you to go home with that idea. But when we make decisions in our life where we separate ourselves from God through our sin, and that's a continual thing, and we become indifferent to God, it becomes a problem. A problem that could cause us to lose our salvation. And we've gotta be careful. These people, many of these people were at that point. Now, I will say this. You look at those churches, there were people in those churches that were doing the right thing. But overall, the majority of them were indifferent to God and lost their meaning. They lost their why. Again, if they weren't invested in Christ in the good times, they're definitely going to walk away in the bad times. Where do we sit? Where are we when we think about our lives? If there was persecution to come tomorrow, would we be ready for that? Would we be willing to stand for Christ? A lot of times the answer is going to be no. We've got to evaluate ourselves. We've got to make sure we're in a good position by being dedicated to Christ. Like we talked about, by making his will our will and not not relying on ourselves. We need to make sure we're in a good position. We're prepared for that. Now, one thing about Christ is that no matter what we've done, there's hope. There's hope in Christ. But we've got to understand that we can get ourselves in a bad position. When you look at another church that he talked about in the book of Revelation a little earlier, he talks about the, the church at Ephesus. 
And in Revelation 2 and verse 5, he says, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the, the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Saying you're in a dangerous position. You need to make changes. And if he's going to say that to the church of Ephesus, I'm sure it applies just the same to that church at Laodicea. They had to make a change. But their hope wasn't lost. And that's, that's what's great about that. And that's the second lesson I want us to understand is that Christ waits for us to return. He's wanting us to return to him. I think of, of uh, the prodigal son. The prodigal son left his father's house. He went off and he wasted his inheritance. What did he do? He went back. What did his father do? That's, that's, that's the real question there. What did the father do? Did he turn him away? Did he scoff at him? No, it says he ran and met him. He was waiting for his return. And just like that, Christ, when we fall away, when we walk away, when we turn our backs on him, he's waiting for our return. Again, he's not going to come and force us to do it, but he's waiting for that day. He's waiting for us to make the decision to come back to him. This church had a choice to make. They had to make a decision. Because again, they were indifferent to Christ. They had put themselves in a bad situation. But you know what? Christ was waiting for them to return. Waiting for them as individual members to make the decision to come back to him. To do the right thing. To again, align their will with his will. That's what he's waiting for. They needed to change their ways. They could no longer be self-sufficient with what was coming. They had to make that change. In 2 Peter 3 and verse 9, we see this idea. This is a very familiar verse to us. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but it's long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's patiently waiting for us to come back. And that should comfort us. A lot of times we get to a point in our lives where we've, we've done so many bad things. And you hear this a lot when you're talking to people who are in sin, who are struggling. They say, he'll never take me back with what I've done. Yeah, he will. But that's the choice that, as the sinner, we have to make. Because he's waiting for us. He wants us all to come to repentance. He wants us all to make that choice. He's standing at the door waiting for us to make that decision, to open the door for him. He wants us, when we're in that position, to make that choice, to open the door. But again, we can leave him out in the cold. But we also have the decision to open up that door and let him in. The third thing I want to mention this, or this afternoon is that answering that door changes everything. Answering the door changes everything. If those in the church at Laodicea made that decision to open the door, to accept that invitation, they were going to have to get up and open it. They were going to have to make the decision. You know, sometimes I'm at home and I'm, I'm lazy, especially when I'm at home. I, I like to sit around. Somebody might come to the door and I might just say, hey, come on in, when they knock on the door. 
but usually we have the door locked. So what am I going to have to do? They can't just walk in, right? I'm going to have to get up. I'm going to have to make the choice. I'm going to have to walk over and I'm going to have to unlatch the door and let them in. When we make that decision to return to God, to return to Christ, it's going to come with changes in our lives, things that we're going to have to do differently. This church was going to have to get out of their indifference. They were going to have to dedicate themselves to God and give all. It was going to change their lives completely, and it was going to be tough. Changes are tough. If you've ever had a sin problem in your life, you know it can almost seem impossible to get out of it. But it's a change we have to make. It's a dedication that we have to make. A simple, I'm sorry, God, wasn't going to be enough. And that's something we talk to our girls about, Quinn and Livy, all the time. From an early age, they got this idea that if they popped out the bottom lip and said, I'm sorry, that everything was going to be okay. And you get to this point and you say, that's a good first step, but changes have to be made. Or your sorry means nothing. They had to make changes. They had to change how they were living. And the same thing goes for us. When we've walked away from Christ and we need that reconciliation, changes have to take place in our lives. Everything has to change because Christ has to be our number one. I think of David in Psalms 51. David was going through a tough time in his life. He had the whole ordeal with Bathsheba. Everything was falling apart around him. And he pins this this psalm here and he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. What he's saying is, I am opening my life up to you to change who I am. But that doesn't mean that that God was going to come into David's life and miraculously change his heart and cause him to make these changes. No, David had to make a decision to make a change in his life. And the same thing applies to us. When we get to that point, we have to make a conscious decision to say, I am going to change. I am going to stop doing what's caused me to get, get in this trouble in the first place. I'm going to change. Are we willing to do that? Because that's part of the, that's part of the deal. We've got to make that change. You know, as about a year ago, I went through a whole study. I did a, just a study as I was preaching on the book of Colossians. And one thing that you see a lot from the very beginning of the book of Colossians, Paul talks, and in his other writings, Paul talks a lot about this idea of the, the death of the old man and how we are created a new creature or a new man. It means we're totally changed. And Colossians 3 talks a lot about that. And when you get to verse 5, I find it very interesting what he says here. He says, Mortify therefore your members upon, which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Now listen to what he says here. In verse 7 he says, In which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. From the beginning of the book of Colossians, you see that these people were doing a lot of really good things. And that's what we see. They had done a pretty good job with this right here. 
They had done a good job with that. And what I kind of liken that to was this idea that they didn't completely put the old man to death. They just kind of injured him because they still had issues. And that's what he says. He says, but now you also put off these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image that created him. He's saying, you did a good job on some things, but now it's time to totally commit. Now it's time to give all. Now it's time to dedicate your life to me and get rid of these other things. Changes had to be made. Now, one thing that you learn about when you look at the area there, Laodicea was very close to the church at Colossae. They were very close. And they were, if you read in Colossians, you're going to find out that Laodicea would read this letter also. They were going to hear this. They had issues that needed to be fixed, and they were going to be tough changes. And those changes had to be made. And that's a very similar call to what he's saying to the church at Laodicea. It's time to make a change. I'm knocking at the door. I'm giving you the opportunity to do that. Open the door and let me in, and let's do this together. That's what he's saying to them. And for us as Christians, when we've fallen away, or maybe as a church, there's a danger of that, that we allow false doctrines in. We've got to be vigilant against that. But if we get to that point, we've got to make sure that we're ready and willing to accept the change and make that change in our lives. Because he's offering us that opportunity if we're willing to submit to his word. And I think finally, answering the door will bring blessings and salvation. And what a wonderful thought that is. While it was going to be tough for this church and those individuals that made up that church to make those decisions, to make those changes, the blessings that came from that would far outweigh that pain. Again, that church was not prepared. They were not ready for that persecution. And depending on their choice, they were either going to thrive through that or they were going to fall. They had to make that decision. And this was his message for those who made that decision, who opened that door, who let him in. He says, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my, in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Those who are willing to accept that and to open that door would be blessed would be back where they needed to be. And even if they lost their lives, even if they lost everything, they still had hope. Not something that they had before. But when they open the door to God and they allow him in, hope is not based on the worldly things. We were talking before church this afternoon about the idea of these Christians that went through this severe persecution. But what happened to the church? Any normal situation, what should happen? The church would be snuffed out. And the Roman Empire did a, a good job trying to get that to happen. But you know what happened? It exploded. More and more people came to Christ. Because that's where we need to be. In the tough times, during the persecution, we need to be grounded in Christ because that's what's going to help us make it through. And even if we went through a persecution like that and we lost our lives, 
we have something far better waiting for us after this life is over. We as a church have to make sure that we as individuals that make up that church are doing our best to serve God. And if we're struggling, if we're having a hard time, let's make that decision to open that door because he's waiting for us. He wants us to open the door. He wants us to let him in. Because we think about the church as a whole. If we're weak, we weaken the church. Let's make a decision. Let's evaluate our lives. Let's use that eye salve of the word of God that will show us what's going on in our lives so that we can correct those things and we can come back to Jesus Christ and we can be back in his arms, ready for whatever's to come. Let's dedicate ourselves to that. Let's make that decision and make that decision this afternoon. If you're here this morning and you've walked away, maybe you've turned your back. That's what we've talked about. This morning we talked a lot about the blessings of the, the, of, of the kingdom of God. This afternoon we're talking about if we're in that position where we're struggling, open the door. Open the door this afternoon. Allow Christ into your, into your life again. Get back to where you, where you needed to be, where you need to be. So you're ready for whatever comes, so that you have a hope. Align your will with his. But again, even though Revelation 3.20 doesn't apply directly to the unbeliever, like we said, all over the word of God, Christ wants, his, wants people to come to him and to be a part of his kingdom. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.